Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Can we clap for one words one more time, Mr. Michael Rosado? So we are in this series of messages right now at the Harbor called Old Dead Guys. And in Old Dead Guys, we are studying some of the most unread and least studied of the books of the Bible, which are the minor prophets. They're not called the minor prophets because they are less important, but because they are small. And that's okay because although they are small, they are also incredibly important. And I love that we've had Mikey over the past couple of weeks and then over the next few, just helping us to process through some of the poetry of the Minor Prophets. But I wanna just invite us to open our Bibles, we're not gonna pass out Bibles tonight, to the book of Amos, the book of Amos. It is the third of the Minor Prophets, about two thirds of the way through your scripture. Most of the scripture will also be on the screen as well. As you're turning there, I just want to share a quick backstory of the character that is Amos. Amos, as we heard Michael say, was a shepherd. And it actually, we discover in Amos chapter 7 verse 4 that Amos describes his calling to become a prophet, a preacher of what God wanted to tell to the people. Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet. It's up on the screen. He replied, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord God called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. So Amos was an ordinary shepherd, And he was called to an extraordinary task. And I think it's really interesting, just as we start off this night and think about this story, that God oftentimes in the Bible calls people who love him and are watching after sheep. Don't you think that's interesting? That Moses is watching after sheep, that David is watching after sheep, that Amos is watching after sheep, and even the shepherds in the Christmas story are tending sheep. They're minding their own business, watching their flock, and God shows up and gives them an extraordinary calling. And even as we enter tonight, I just wanna encourage you that you're probably in a sheep field right now. It could be a sheep field called Eastern Florida State or FIT. It could be a sheep field called Harris Corporation or Starbucks Coffee Shop. But I wanna encourage you that whatever field you are in, God has called you to an extraordinary task. You know, we have this vision this year that we wanna invite every single young adult in Melbourne, Florida and on the Space Coast to walk with Jesus. And so wherever you are at, your sheep field is an opportunity to invite people to walk with Jesus. And in the exact same way, this is where Amos was at. And Amos, he he was prophesying, he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, but he was prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. I'm going to do a quick refresher on last week if you missed it. We have a map up here of, on the left side, the entire nation of Israel, which is what most of the Old Testament is about. 
But then there was a civil dispute that led to a division between the nation of Israel and uh, the nation of Judah. It was a civil war of sorts. And so they became two nations. You see on the right side, Judah on the bottom, Israel on the north. Now, Israel, if you read the story in Kings and in Chronicles, Israel, every single ruler of Israel was wicked and evil. There were some in Judah that were good and that were holy, but everyone in in Israel was wicked. And so uh, Amos is called to this northern kingdom. Okay, so now we have kind of a setup. And what I need us to understand is that even though the the moral uh, climate of Israel was bankrupt at the time, it was a very prosperous time in the nation. So just because there was spiritual poverty, there was an economic boom because the king at the time, King Jeroboam II, he was a great military leader. And so as a great military leader, he was able to create a lot of, uh, just to, to get back a lot of land. Israel was at its largest ever at this time. And during this time, there was large economic prosperity. And we're gonna look at that and see how that applies to our story. Does that make sense? Awesome, okay. So what I'm gonna do here is I know we're like, you know, a little bit in right now, but I just wanna pray and ask God to honor his word. And then we're gonna look at the, sh- the, the story of Amos. Are you guys ready? Are you with me? Say, I'm with you. Okay, cool. I I like to hear a little bit of feedback. Talk to me a little bit. All right. Thank you, God, so much. We love you, and we are excited for what you're doing tonight. And God, I pray that you would open up our hearts. I pray that you would speak to us what you want to speak to us tonight. And I believe that uh, no matter what the message is, that, God, you have a message of grace and love and hope for us, and I pray that we would experience that this evening. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you. Great to hear from you. Okay, let's look as we're going to do throughout our series on the Minor Prophets. We're going to do an overview of each book. And so right now I want to introduce you to an overview of the book of Amos. Now, I will warn you, this week I studied Amos and it's nine chapters. And uh, let me tell you, it's, it's kind of an intense book. And so as you heard from uh, Mikey's poem at the beginning, like it's not like light and fluffy and lollipops and gummy bears, all right? But I believe we're gonna get through it and I believe it's gonna be encouraging. We can break down Amos into three different sections. The first section takes place in chapter one all the way through chapter two, verse five. And that section could be summed up as God's judgment on the nation surrounding Israel. So if you remember that map, there's a lot of nations surrounding Israel. And what happens in each one of those moments is that God actually speaks through the prophet Amos and he gives a judgment to the seven surrounding nations of Israel. And each one of them have a very similar rhythm and routine to them. If you want to, you can look at verse 11 of chapter one and we're gonna read just one of these judgments. It says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned again, and I will not let them go unpunished. So the first kind of of the rhythms is that God calls out a specific people group, and he says, hey, you have sinned against me. The next thing is he describes what the sin is. It says they chase down their relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually and were unrelenting in their anger. 
So I will send down fire on Taman, and the fortress of Basra will be destroyed. So what God is saying is most of these nations were very violent nations. They were very ruthless to the people around them. And God says, hey, because of your violence, there's actually going to be judgment against you. So you can imagine if you're the people of Israel and you hear that all of your enemies are getting judged, that's kind of an exciting thing for you, right? You're like, this is awesome. They're going to get judged, and who knows, maybe we get a bigger land. That's awesome. We could move into their houses. We could harvest their fig trees. And so you're thinking to yourself, this is a great thing for us. But there is bad news. Because Amos then spends the next eight chapters in part two of the book, which is judgment on the nation of Israel. So he turns his attention from the surrounding nations, and he says, God actually has the biggest problem with you. And so let's look at a couple of things that he talks about. Look with me at verse 6 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 6. This is sort of a big picture of what God's problem with the people of Israel is. He says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for, and for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing and their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. So what we see is that the people of God have been behaving very badly. And the biggest problem that God has with his chosen people throughout the nation of Israel, or throughout the, the book of Amos, is that they have been treating the poor with contempt. That they are sitting in their wealth and their comfort and their riches, and they have gotten that wealth and comfort and riches on the back of the poor and the oppressed. Now, there are other things that God has a problem with, that they have idolatry, that they have sexual immorality, but the biggest problem that he comes back to again and again is this idea of the wealthy oppressing the poor. Now, here's what we have to realize, that God wanted the culture of the Israelites to be one that was loving and welcoming to the poor and to the foreigner. God had actually built it into the law that there would be very much a sense of compassion for the poor. Those who were rich and owned big, giant fields, they were commanded not to harvest their entire field, but they were commanded to leave some so that those who did not have enough could come and glean grain for their own house. God loved the poor, and he wanted his people to be a people that took care of the poor. And so when they didn't, God got very frustrated at that. And he promised judgment, and basically, if you want to read Amos, it's nine chapters of judgment. But I'm just going to read a couple of the most, let me, let me just say this. It's intense, but you got to give God a lot of creative credit for the ways that he tells people about the judgment, okay? Like he says some stuff and you're like, I don't even know where you came up with that, but that's terrifying, God. 
Like, let me just read a couple for you. Um, Look at verse three of chapter 12. Turn to chapter 12, verse three. He's promising harsh punishment to the people of Israel for how they treat the poor. And this is what he says. He says, this is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will only recover, cover your sensitive ears, two legs or a piece of an ear. So it will be for the Israelites of Samaria, lying on luxurious beds and for the people of Damascus reclining on couches. So he paints the picture. Imagine you are a shepherd and you, a lion gets into your sheep pen and you try to rescue the sheep. He's like, I got bad news for you. There's only gonna be like a little bit left of it. Like fluffy got eaten, bad news, right? That's what he says. And he's like, this is how it's gonna be for the people. If someone tries to rescue you, they're only pulling an ear and a leg out. Like that's, that's tough. Here's another description that he says in chapter five. If you wanna turn with me to chapter five, verse 19. I love hearing the pages of God's word turn. In chapter five, verse 19, he says, in that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. <laughs> Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against the wall in his house and he is bitten by a snake. Like this is a bad day, right? Like you're like, here's the lion. I've gotten away from the lion, praise the Lord. Then a bear comes after you. And then you're like, I've gotten away from the bear and you lean your hand against the wall of your house in panting exhaustion and a snake bites you. So what God is saying is, guess what? There's no escape from this judgment that's coming upon the people. And and this may seem like a harsh criticism and a harsh reality, but we have to realize and we have to remember that God's heart is never for judgment. God's desire is never to pour out wrath on his people. That's why he sends these prophets as a warning so that they want, so that they will turn towards him. God never wants punishment. He always wants us to turn to him in grace. And in fact, Amos is one of the final prophets to prophesy, but there is still 30 to 40 years before this judgment comes. God is a patient God and he desires for us to turn. So let's keep reading. We're gonna get to the last part, the last section of the scripture. It's only five verses, but even in five verses, God closes with hope. Look at chapter nine, verse 11. The last section is this, that God promises to one day restore Israel and the world. Amos says, in that day I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Eden and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do all these things. So God promises that there is a day coming that even though this intense judgment is happening, there is still a day coming where he will make all things new. And we have to realize that this was written in the past to the people of Israel. But we have actually experienced some of this prophecy come true. Because God promised that he would restore Israel and that he would bring his hope to the nations. He has restored Israel. Israel is actually a country again. Not only that, but you and I, we are the nations. And his hope has come to us. 
And so the thing that God promised that he would send hope to the nations is happening and the gospel is spreading to the world. But we are still waiting for the final hope when God will come again to this earth and he will make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. And that's the final fulfillment of the prophecy. All right, so we did this last week. We're gonna do it again this week. Give yourselves a hand. You made it through the book of Amos. That's incredible, yes. I would encourage you to read it. It is an intense book, but it's a worthy read. Okay, so I'm gonna share three thoughts with you as we close out tonight that we can take away from this book. The first thought is this, you can jot it down. Be careful, be cautious with comfort. Don't fall in love. Be cautious with comfort, don't fall in love. And when I say don't fall in love, I don't mean don't fall in love with that special bay. You can fall in love, please do. What I do mean is don't fall in love with comfort. Because you see, in Amos, the, the, the theme that is repeated is this idea that if you are rich and if you are wealthy and if you are comfortable, you need to be very careful. Let's just read one section from Amos chapter six. It'll be on the screen. It says, how terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches, eating the meat of tender lambs from the flock and of choice calves from fattened in the saw. You sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourself to be great musicians like David. You drink, drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourselves with fragrant lotions. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation. So we have to realize that God and the scriptures never explicitly say that money or wealth or riches are wrong. It's not a sin to enjoy life and it's not a sin to be comfortable. But what we must realize is that when we experience a wealth of comfort, that we need to be very cautious. Because comfort and riches and wealth have the potential to dull our senses so that we don't have the ability to perceive what is happening on a spiritual level. And this is what's happening to them. He says, you're so excited about all the pleasure that you aren't able to pick up what's happening in a spiritual climate. The way I think about it is this, it's no secret if you've been around the harbor for a long time, you know that Katie and I absolutely love donuts. And like we are into them and honestly, you know, Katie is, uh, is eight months pregnant at this point. Give it up for her for carrying a baby for eight months, that's amazing. But man, we are just enabling ourselves with junk food at this point. We're just two junkies enabling each other. And every night it's like, you wanna get something? Well, I mean, you're pregnant, let's go get a McFlurry, you know what I'm saying? And so we love sweets and we love sugary, delicious delights. But you know, if, only I, if the only thing I eat is sweets, then my ability to be able to process life, to be able to walk through life, to be able to be mentally sharp, to be able to do the things God has called me to do will be severely diminished. Because I need a balanced diet and I need to eat healthy food and only supplement a sweet every once in a while. But this does not just apply to food. If you and I are constantly ingesting comfort, constantly ingesting things that make us feel good emotionally. And again, I don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to laugh. 
We need to enjoy life. We need to spend time in community filling up our souls and our spirits. I am not saying having fun is wrong. But I am saying if we are living for luxury, if we are living for comfort, if we are living just to soak in the beauty of life, it can dull our senses to what God has truly called us to do. And we need to look and we need to examine and realize that God has called us to something greater. And I think it's so interesting that even in this cultural moment that we are in this week, some of our cultural idols have been taken away. That it used to be maybe even two, three, four weeks ago, it was like stock market's great. I'm rich. Things are going well. It's never been higher. I could just jump on a plane at any time and scoot to Europe. I can plan this lavish, amazing vacation. I can buy toilet paper whenever I want. (laughs) And maybe this moment is an opportunity for us to realize that sometimes we can can set up an idol of being in control and being uncomfortable when God has not called us to be comfortable. He's called us to realize that our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's called us to realize that this life is not our own and this world is not our home. And he's called us to realize that we are ambassadors for his kingdom and our expectation is not comfort in this life, but a new heaven and a new earth, amen? And so the first thing we need to realize is that we need to be cautious of comfort. The second thing is this, let's be compassionate with everyone, especially the neglected. We are called to be compassionate as followers of Jesus with everyone, especially the neglected. One of the most famous verses in all of Amos is found in Amos 5. It's up on the screen, and this is what it says. God speaking to the people. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Now pause right there before we move forward. If we could just go back to that last slide. Once again, we've got to realize God is not outlawing us religiously celebrating and worshiping him. In this time and context, he had commanded all of these things. But what he was saying was, if you're gathering for worship services, but you leave the worship services and mistreat people, then this, what we're doing right here, doesn't matter. This right here, worship, is only as good as our compassion out there. And so what he wants us to realize is this is worthless, and they were mistreating people, and so he hated the fact that they were worshiping with rotten hearts. And so this is what he says. This is what I really want. Go to the next slide. This is the famous line. He says, here's what I want you to do. Don't bring me feasts. Don't bring me festivals. But let justice flow like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May your life, may your heart be like a river of my love pouring out to everyone around you. And especially those who are in need. This theme is continued. One of the most famous uh, commands and calls for us as followers of Jesus in our day and age is to take care of those in need. It says in James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In that time and in that age, orphans and widows had the greatest need of anyone in society. 
And so as the people of God today, we are called to be those people. So who are the orphans and widows today? Well, I believe that this can have a spiritual application. An orphan or a widow could be anyone who does not know Jesus Christ and who is in need of the greatest need, which is the gospel. And so we can carry that to the world. We can tell people about Jesus. We can invite them who feel far from God into the family of God. But it also has a practical application. We don't just deal with the spiritual, but we take care of people's physical needs as well. And you and I, we have to realize that as Americans in this moment, even if you feel broke, we are very privileged and very wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And we can, in this room, take care of widows and orphans. There's an amazing organization called Compassion International. Many of you probably know, but for $40 a month, you can sponsor a child to take care of their spiritual, medical, and physical needs, literally as they grow up, giving them a chance at a healthy life. Now, I would guess that most people in this room could make that happen. And that's an opportunity for us to take care of the widows and the orphans. There are other things that we can do as well, seeking to build and work for the good of the city. There are many things that we can do if we just seek and ask and help. And we as the church can help you get connected if that's your heart. But let me encourage you as well with one other thing. In this moment, this week, there's a lot of fear about this coronavirus. And you know what? The people of God are actually famous in throughout history that during times of great plague, plague far worse than what we're experiencing, that the people of God were not the ones who escaped, but they were the ones who stayed and took care. And so because of our hope in the future, because of our hope in Jesus Christ, we are not simply called to just go to the store and get as much possible possessions and hoard for ourselves, but we're actually called to take care of our neighbors. And this is an opportunity right now that we can love those around us, that we can shoot a text to someone that we know will be struggling emotionally, that we can reach out to an elderly person who's in our community and make sure that they're okay and ask if they need anything, that we can look to see what surplus or even what we have and look to give and donate to other people. This is not the time for the people of God to stockpile and to hunker down. It's the time for us to be wise, to use Purell, to wash our hands, to sing happy birthday twice and write some 20 seconds. I'm not saying to be dumb, but it is also time for us to go out and not hunker down, but to be confident that God is with us and be the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So that's the second thing is that we need to be compassionate to others, especially those in need. The last thing that I want to close out is that we need to be hope filled about our future because God has made all things new. We read this, and I'm not going to read the last verse that's on the screen, but we read, actually I am. We're going to just read it real quick to wrap things up. Look at Amos chapter 9, verse 11. It's up on the screen. God's, or, yeah, you can go back to it. That was it. That was it. God says this, the time will come when the grain and the grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. One more slide for me as we wrap things up. 
I will rebuild my exiled people back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will plant them there in their own land. They will never be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord. We'll close with this. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in this next six months or this next year or this next decade or this next 50 years. Our hope is in the fact that one day Jesus will return and he will make a new heaven and a new earth. And you and I, we are citizens of that kingdom. And so what we are doing right now is every one of us, when we leave here, we are carriers of that kingdom. And we are looking to take that into the world, to take his hope, to take his love, and to build his kingdom on planet Earth. The reason we can do this is because of Jesus. You see, Amos is a book about judgment. But here's the reality. We don't have to receive God's judgment because Jesus hung on a cross and he died. And when he did, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God poured out his judgment on Jesus for the sins of the world so that you and I could receive the blessing and the grace and the mercy of God. And because of this, we have an opportunity to take that to the world. This life is not our own. This world is not our home. And we are invited to step into the hope that Jesus has invited us into. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for the story of Amos. I hope and pray that every single person in here has received your salvation. Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us, that you took our curse, that you took our judgment so that we could have new life. We praise you and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And as we end tonight, I just wanna leave with this, that maybe there is someone in here who has not yet become a Christian. And you need to realize that this idea is that, you know what, every single person in here has sinned and we have walked away from God and we have two choices. Either A, Jesus can pay for our sins and we can be invited into new life with Christ. Or B, we can pay for our own sins forever. And I do not want you to pay for your sins. Neither does God. His heart is that you would experience his grace and his salvation. And so if there's anyone in here who would say, Brian, that's me. I need to become a Christian. I want to experience the fullness of God's love. I want him to change me, to redeem me, to make me new, and to invite me into a brand new life. If you would say that, would you just raise your hand right now? There's no one looking around. There's no one that is see, looking. There's just heads bowed and eyes closed. Awesome. Well, if God speaks to you and you want to um, talk to me anymore about this message, I'll be available after the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.